As G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Here on Swimming Upstream, we go against the cultural stream by championing life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Your host is Eric Sammons, author of seven books, including Holiness for Everyone, The Old Evangelization, and Bitcoin Basics. Now let's get swimming. Welcome to episode 88 of Swimming Upstream. I'm Eric Sammons. Well, as I record this, we are on day 34 of our long national nightmare. I'm speaking, of course, of the government shutdown in which every single employee of the government, every single federal employee is not working right now. There's chaos in Washington, D.C. There's riots in the streets. People are dying. Garbage is just piling up everywhere. I don't know how we've done it. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. But we are in the middle of what has been termed a government shutdown, and I think it is day 34. I'm recording this on January 24th, 2019. And this is the longest government shutdown in history. I think the longest before this was 21 days during the uh, Clinton-Gingrich days. But right now we're on, I think, day 34. And it doesn't look like, at least as while I'm recording this, it doesn't look like the shutdown's going to end anytime soon. Now, why are we in a government shutdown? Essentially, uh, President Trump decided that if the budget did not include money to build a wall, a wall, by the way, that he said Mexico would pay for, but I guess that doesn't matter anymore. If, he, if, if the budget did not include uh, $5.7 billion for, to build a wall, then he was not going to agree to it and there'd be a government shutdown. Now, $5.7 billion sounds like a lot of money. I mean, I wouldn't mind having 5.7. Actually, I think that'd be too much money to have. I think I'd go crazy if I had that much money. But $5.7 billion is a lot of money. However, let's put it in a little context. The total budget is $4.4 trillion, which, of course, is over how much revenue the government expects to take in. But that doesn't matter either anymore, it sounds like, these days. To put that in perspective, it's like asking for $57 if you had an annual income of $44,000. So let's say your, your salary was $44,000 a year, and your wife asked you for 40, $57, and you said, no, I'm going to shut down everything. You don't get anything. Nobody gets anything if, rather than give you that $57. So it's really not that much money in the scheme of things. That being said... It still is $5.7 billion of our taxpayer, taxpayer money. The problem is for years we've had this buildup of just saying, oh, that's not that much. That's not that much in context. But it all adds up now to four, over four, almost $4.5 trillion. But honestly, this debate of the shutdown isn't really about the money. It's really about the, the principle of the wall. Obviously, uh, the Democrats don't want the wall. Trump and most of the Republicans do want the wall. And so the shutdown, really, the liberals blame Trump for insisting on the wall, and conservatives blame the Democrats for not giving just a, you know, a paltry $5.7 billion for a wall. And really, the whole thing has gotten to be almost comical at this point because uh, Trump cancels uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip overseas at the last minute, and now Nancy Pelosi, is, as of right now at least, is saying that Trump can't come for a State of the Union address next week. Uh, he's not invited, and they, I... I 
what I understand, the president cannot address, cannot go into uh, the House of Representatives and address them without permission from them, without an invitation, and so they don't, he didn't have one. We'll see how that goes. But really, the, the, that's not what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about this whole idea of the government shutting down, and it said shut down non-essential services. And the question I want to ask is, is the government itself non-essential? I mean, there's been a lot of jokes, especially with conservatives, about non-essential services and things like that. But I want to take it even a step further and ask just, is government itself non-essential? Do we need to have a government? Now, with this shutdown, the word shutdown is kind of a joke because the total number of workers who are furloughed is 380,000. Sounds like a lot. But there's over 2 million federal workers in total, that not, and that's not including postal workers. And so the percent of the workforce that's currently furloughed is 18%, which is a decent chunk, but that's not a shutdown. I, I, almost every company on earth, if significant size company, if you had 18% of the workforce you know, be laid off or take off or something, they could still, they, they wouldn't be shut down. They wouldn't go out of business. They could probably keep going. They wouldn't necessarily do as well, but they would keep going. So we're not in a shutdown. But what, what, what we're finding, what, what I think the shutdown does, though, make us ask, what really is non-essential? According to the federal government itself, 18% of the government's non-essential. So why do we have it? Isn't government's purpose only supposed to be for essential services? Because I understand a business has a lot of different services it sells, and a business might have some that are essential to, its, to what it does and others that aren't essential. Even things, something like a hospital has essential and non-essential services that it offers, you know, emergency rooms, things like that. But maybe it also has cosmetic surgery as one of the things uh, that are available in the hospital. You know, one is essential, one might not be essential. And so, like, I would think the government, if it should exist at all, it should only offer services like emergency room services using the hospital, not cosmetic surgery. But I think what's happened is, is that we've come to the belief that government is much more than just offering essential services, that these non-essential services are, are vital as well, and we have to have them. Obviously, we think that because we're all freaking out because there's a government shutdown of the non-essential services. But I would say let's look at what gov the functions of government are and what really is essential and what's non-essential? I think we can break down the functions of government into basically five categories. The first is security, and that would include national security like the army and the, the armed forces, things like that, and local security, police forces. The federal government in general just does the, the uh, national services, and the state and local governments would do the local services, uh, security services. The second is uh, Intervention in the economy, and that could be as basic as preventing fraud, you know, enforcing contracts. So two, uh, two organizations have contracts to provide services. They would enforce it if somebody tried to break a contract or be fraudulent on a contract. All the way to the most advanced services uh, function of a government economy would be they would direct it and socialism, for example. So that's kind of a spectrum there. And by the way, there's a spectrum, of course, in security as well. There could be a, you could have a national armed forces that were just, that just defended on direct attacks, and that's it. All the way to they go to other countries and they intervene whenever they think there's a national interest at stake that they want to get involved with. Okay, so we have security of economy. The next one is public goods. 
these are goods that help the society in general. So I'm talking about roads, uh, schools, libraries, things of that, services that are for, for the common good, so to speak. And, of course, these are lots of different, there's a big range of this as well because, you know, roads are one thing, schools are another, libraries are another. I think a lot of people would say we, we have to have roads, but we don't have to have libraries. Yes, libraries help a, a, a uh, culture, help a society, but they're not essential, whereas a road seems to be essential. That's the third category, public goods. The fourth category of function of government is welfare. And this could, huge range here, basic to helping those in most desperate need. Somebody is basically about to die of starvation or something, and the government steps in and helps them. All the way to more advanced, and again, we have socialism, where basically the government is just uh, the parent, the nanny state, and just takes care of, of everybody. And in the final one is, I don't have a quick, easy name for this one, it's preventing externalities. And this is th these are things that harm everybody in the collective, but no individual necessarily has the power to stop them. Talking about pollution, for example, that, that's probably the most common one, like air pollution. Let's say a company's pumping out air pollution all over the world. Like one person can't really stand up to the company, but the government can step in and say, no, you can't do that because you're, you're harming everybody in, in, in the collective. You're harming the common good. But pollution being the most common example, that's not as far as it goes. In fact, this is where I think the government has gone uh, much more, has become much more expansive over the, in recent years because you could talk about uh, something that most conservatives would agree with, maybe outlawing pornography, saying pornography is something that harms everybody in the collective, so we're going to make that illegal. And, you know, liberals would say perhaps we should outlaw plastic straws. I mean, that's, a, that's one that's happened recently where plastic straws are again, you know, companies selling plastic straws are going to hurt the common good, the collective, everybody in the collective, and so we should outlaw that. So these are the different functions of government. We have security, the economy, public goods, welfare, and preventing externalities. So what in that list is essential? What is non-essential? I think liberals, most liberals today, not classical liberals obviously, but liberals today, modern liberals, would say all of it's essential. We need, all, we need the government to do all of that. We need government, obviously, for security. We need government to direct the economy. We need it to build our roads and our libraries and our schools. We need it to, to take care of people on welfare and like basically everybody, and we need it to, to prevent bad things from happening. That's what we need government for. It, it's there to take care of us. That's probably, and, and you see this particularly in somebody like uh, the, the, the politi politician du jour, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, I'll just call her because it's easier to say, whereas she very much is essentially a socialist. She's the congresswoman, the new congresswoman from New York, essentially is a socialist, and would say the government should do all these things and more. Conservatives would probably argue against some of these things and not others. So, for example, they'd be very strong on security. A conservative would say, yes, we need government for security. We, we, the most would say you need the government involved somewhat in the economy, not too much. Public goods, yes, like roads, definitely. And most conservatives are supportive of public schools, uh, libraries, things of that nature. Most conservatives would probably be against uh, you know, well, most welfare, and they would be for some preventing of externalities, like, for example, um, pollution and probably against pornography, but not, not 
to the extreme of like plastic straws and things like that. I think when it comes to preventing externalities, it's basically whether or not you think it's harmful or not. So if you don't think pornography is harmful, you think it should be legal. If you think it's harmful, it should be illegal. Same thing with plastic straws. Now, libertarians would restrict the list uh, much more. Uh, obviously, they're for limited government. Libertarians were for limited government. And so we would say there's very few things that are essential. Now, there is a strain of libertarianism that would say nothing. Nothing is essential for government. Speaking, of course, of uh, anarchists. That's what an anarchist is. Now, the term anarchist is, is problematic today because it conjures up certain images that aren't necessarily, doesn't necessarily encompass what a anarchist, certain types of anarchists today would think. We think of like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, if we're old enough to remember that movie. I guess it, there was a, they redid that movie recently. But where you just have survival of the fittest, it's just the strong are in charge and there's no laws, there's no government. And so it's just, it's chaos. It is riots on the streets and, and basically every man for himself. That's kind of the image of anarchist. And it's, it usually is uh, considered a violent uh, ideology, that if you're an anarchist, you want to overthrow the government through violent means. However, within libertarianism, there's something called an anarcho-capitalist, uh, for short, ANCAPs. And that's somebody who believes in no government but thinks capitalism is essentially the replacement for government. That's why it's called anarcho-capitalism, anarchist and a capitalist. And so probably the best way to define an anarcho-capitalist is that they believe in self-regulated voluntary contracts instead of laws. So society is governed by these voluntary contracts, not by laws. Our, our most common way we think of society is governed is through laws, obviously. Certain things are legal, certain things are illegal. That's how we order our society. And every, everybody would agree societies need to be ordered. Even, well, uh, crazy uh, anarchists wouldn't, but like the anarchists I'm talking about in anarcho-capitalists say, yeah, there needs to be order. But that order comes through voluntary, uh, self-regulated uh, contracts, not through uh, laws that are imposed upon people by uh, a, a government. And so because of this, anarcho-capitalists would say that all services should, can and should be privatized. And, I, and literally all services, everything, every function of government I listed, from security to welfare, economy, whatever, it all should be privatized. And I think the first thing most people would think when they hear that is they, they would resist the idea, especially for things like security, like the uh, um, armed forces and, and the police, as well as like the roads. Like we have to have government in order to have roads. We have to have government in order to have uh, uh, protection, order is through armed forces and through the police force. But an ANCAP would say, no, we don't need that. Now, the person who I think came up with the term ANCAP and really has articulated the best in the who's from the 20th century is Murray Rothbard. I've spoken to him before on the podcast. He wrote a book called For a New Liberty, and I'll, I'll have a link to the uh, where you can get I think you can get it for free. I'm going to have a link to where you can get it for free. Uh, and it's, it's, I have the book, and I've read it. It's a wonderful book. I'm not saying I agree with everything in it. That doesn't, saying a book is wonderful doesn't mean you agree with everything, but what it does mean is it makes you think and it makes you really look at the world in a different way, which I think is a, a, a powerful uh, thing for a book to do. And basically, Murray Rothbard argues that every service that the government provides right now is non-essential and can be privatized. And so, for example, 
uh, security forces. The police force can be, a, you can have private security forces instead of having a, a government police force. And what happens is that the basic argument for why ANCAPs think that services should be, should be privatized is because they've seen through capitalism that any organization that's private is essentially more efficient and more responsive to their customers' needs than a government organization is. And so if you think a service is done uh, poorly by the government or even adequately, it can be done better by a private organization. So for example, if the government tried to run Amazon, or Amazon, let's say Jeff Bezos decided tomorrow, I'm going to run Amazon like a government. It's going to be, have taxes that are forced on people. Let's say some, in some world this is possible. We all know what would happen. It would become incredibly inefficient, and it would not service people, and it would not, two-day you know, shipping and prime would just be non-existent anymore. And so Rothbard and other ANCAPs would say, let's apply that to everything, not just uh, certain aspects of society, but every aspect of society. So imagine a police force, that a neighborhood that has a private uh, security force that basically uh, enforces the rules that the, that the uh, neighborhood has decided upon voluntarily and keeps people from outside attacking them and things like that. They're, they're likely to be much more um, responsive, according to the NCAP, and much more efficient than the, 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 the police force is. And, same, and how about national defense? Well, one of the things Rothbard says is, if you had, in our country, let's just, just speaking of America, if you have a whole society in which everybody is uh, protecting themselves through their own uh, armed weapons or whatever, and, or having uh, small groups that are protecting themselves, or neighborhoods, or even cities that, that have voluntarily created these security forces, what country is going to want to invade us? Think about the nightmare that would be to try to invade America and take over the country when it's completely, there's no head of state, that, there's no government that you can take over. I mean, it becomes a very unattractive, uh, an unattractive desire of other countries to take us over because who do you take over? You go to Washington and you take over Washington, well, somebody in Cincinnati doesn't care because they're not governed by anybody in Washington. Even take it closer, you take over Columbus, Ohio, the state capital of Ohio. People in Cincinnati still don't care. So they would literally have to, a foreign country would literally have to overtake every single community in the, in the country before they would be successful. And so they, it just wouldn't be palatable. They wouldn't even try. That's Rothbard's argument for it. Likewise, with streets and roads, that's something you always hear like, oh, we can't have roads without the government. But why? Why can't private citizens create their own roads from one place to another and govern them the way they wish to? And so maybe they'd be toll roads. Maybe they would make it free, but there'd be some way that they would recoup their costs in some other way. Maybe it'd be a charitable thing. And they could enforce rules like speed limits. They could decide. They could also enforce things like driver's license. You can't be on my road unless you are licensed. And, and it's not like you could have, it's not like you'd have different licenses for each one. They could, they could have agreements with other road owners to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to recognize the licensing that you give as well. So all this could be happen. We see this happen in every other, in, 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 in private industry all the time, where people come together and they have certain standards and things like that. I mean, you have different certi certifications, like Better Business Bureau or something like that, that says, okay, we're going to say that this company is legitimate or this road is legitimate in this case. And often what happens is people just, when, they, when you suggest 
something radical like this, like a, a service being privatized, the first thing they say is it just can't happen because w what's going to happen is the poor are going to be left out and only the rich are going to be successful. But assume for a minute, I think this is Rothbard's example. It's actually been a few months since I read the book and I, I forget the exact example. But assume for a moment that shoes were always provided for by the government, that that's how you got your shoes was through the government. And then tomorrow they said, okay, we're going to privatize and people can just create their own shoes and decide what would happen. Would all of a sudden the poor be shoeless? No. They would what would happen is the market would determine a, a price for shoes in which people of all uh, income levels could afford shoes. You can get shoes for $10 at Payless. You can buy super fancy shoes for $1,000. It just depends on what you want. You prioritize it. And if you, you might only, one person might only have one pair of shoes, another person has 100 pairs of shoes. And basically, though, you, you, your priorities are set by what it is you think is most important. So if you think a security force is most important, then you pay for that. And depending on what kind of security force you, you want, you pay for the type that you want. And so it, it's just the idea, though, is try to think. It's not that these things can't be done outside of government. It's like we just can't imagine them being done outside of government. And remember, in this society, there are no taxes. And so therefore, somebody who makes let's say $50,000 $50, a year right now, they take home $50,000. In fact, they take home more than that because people don't realize this, but most co a company, when they pay somebody $50,000, of course, some of that's getting, let's say $10,000 that's taken out in taxes, so the person gets $40,000. The company actually pays over $50,000 because they pay over that $10,000. They send $10,000 to the government, but they send more than $10,000 to the government. They actually send a higher rate because they have to match certain things, and I won't get into details. So let's say it's $55,000. Well, they could send that whole $55,000 to the person. The person has a whole $55,000. They now have $15,000 more in which to do things like pay for a security force, pay for roads they're going to use, and things of that nature. And so this is the argument of the ANCAPs, that basically it's a method in which society can be run through voluntary uh, agreements and, and, and contracts that people enter into. And if somebody wants to live all off on their own on a farm and take care of themselves, be self-sufficient, that's fine. That's the... That's kind of the stereotype people think libertarians have, that everybody, that every libertarian, or especially in camp, just, just want to live by themselves and not be bothered. That's not the point of it. The point is that instead of being forced into uh, communities, people voluntarily join a community. If a community wants to have a million and one rules and everybody in the community agrees to it, that's fine. They can do that. And if you don't like it, then you can move out of it. But they should be free to move out and find another community that, that's more to your liking. Now, all that being said, I'm not an ANCAP. I'm not an anarcho-capitalist. I would be what is considered a minarchist, which basically means I do believe that there's a role for government, but essentially I think the role of government is enforcing the non-aggression principle, which I've talked about in other podcasts before. But just real quick, that's the idea that a person cannot harm another person uh, through, through force or through fraud, things of that nature. And so, for example, if I broke a contract with, something, with somebody that I had freely entered into and they had freely entered into, 
I broke that, that's, that's breaking the non-aggression principle. Obviously, if I assaulted somebody or I killed them, that's breaking the non-aggression principle. I do think the government, there should be a government that enforces those type of regulations. So I think the government should be, uh, for security, for example, very limited, but secure, some security, court system thing. I didn't talk about Rothbard's solution to the court system in a private world, but you can read, like I said, the book for a new liberty if you really want to go in depth on this. But things like uh, providing public goods, uh, directing the economy, welfare, all those things, I don't think we need a government for. I think that's non-essential. And now I, I, I've talked, and I've talked about before why that is. I've talked about why it actually hurts the welfare, hurts the poor, and that the government shouldn't have that. So you can go back to old podcasts and, and find me talking about that. But what I like about the anarcho-capitalists is they make us think. They're like good, it's like good philosophy, Good philosophy, you might not agree with, it, with, with the, the propositions being made or even the questions being asked, but it makes you really think about things. It makes you ask those deep questions. And so I think the anarcho-capitalists are saying to us, hey, we're assuming the government should be doing all these things, but let's take a step back and not assume that. This sh the government shutdown that's going on right now, is, it's admitting there's non-essential services, and they're saying 18% is non-essential, but perhaps it's greater than 18%. Maybe it's 50%. Maybe it's 75%. Maybe it's 90%. The anarcho-capitalists would say it's 100% is non-essential. I might say 90% is non-essential. Somebody else might say 80%. Somebody else might say 50%. The point is, though, each function of government should be questioned about whether or not it's essential. And when we finally end this government shutdown, because we all know we'll end eventually, why is it that all of a sudden 18% of non-essential services are being, being offered again? Why? Because why remember, all these services are being paid for by your and my tax dollars. So we're paying for non-essential services. Think about that for a minute. Would you pay your hard-earned money for non-essential things? Sure, for some things like entertainment or something like that, that's not always essential. Would you pay 18% of your, let's just give the 18% number as the, what is actually non-essential. I would, of course, say it's much more than that, but let's just say it's 18%. Is 18% of your income, does it go non-essential things that you want? I mean, obviously, you have your house, you have your food, you have uh, clothing, things like that. But is it 18%? You should look at your, your, your uh, budget sometime and see how much of it goes to what you probably could do without. I know for me it's not 18%. I know it's, it's much less than that that I spend on non-essential services. And, of course, I would argue that about 90% is non-essential. But even if you think 50% is non-essential, it means 50% of your tax dollars are going for something that isn't really needed. And so what we really need to do is, in this era of socialism that's becoming popular, this era of AOC, of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and how she's becoming popular, we need to rethink what services the government really is supposed to do because as we know from the past you know generation basically since the especially since the era of the new deal government always expands never contracts and what the anarcho-capitalists and libertarians in general are saying why why is it always expanding not contracting why shouldn't we look at maybe perhaps contracting it is the expansion of government always a good thing Yes, perhaps a typical person would say the expansion of government that happened maybe in the 19th century, early 20th century, some of that was good. Maybe a few things how it expands are good. But I think most people, if they really looked at what government, the services government provides, 
I think if they looked at it closely, they'd say, you know, I don't think we need to add to this. I think we need to subtract from it. So I think these are the questions we want to ask ourselves. And I personally am very grateful to the anarcho-capitalists uh, and what they're doing because they make us think that I don't necessarily want to live in the society they want to live in, but the society I want to live in is much closer to their society than it is to what we currently live in. And so I think that's, I'm grateful that they do that. And so I would recommend reading Murray Rothbard in particular. And I might try to have a few links to some other things about narco-capitalism uh, in the show notes for the page. And remember, you can always access all the show notes for any of my stuff at my website, ericsammons.com slash podcast. And that's a list of all of them. If you know the number of the podcast, like this is 88, it'd be ericsammons.com ericsandrews.com slash podcast slash 88. Okay, so that's it for today's show. Let me just remind you a few things. First of all, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Eric R. Salmons. That's at Eric R. Salmons on Twitter. And I'm, I'm constantly kind of spouting off there. And, and you can interact with me there. Um, you know, if you want to write to me there, that's fine. If you want to write to me an email, it's eric at ericsammons.com. If you have like an idea for an episode, maybe something you think would be interesting for me to talk about, or if you have a question about something I've talked about in a previous episode, I'm happy to answer those as quickly as I can. I can't always get to it immediately, but I, I try to get back to people. People email me with questions a lot, and I try to get back to them as best I can. Uh, so anyway, so like I said, follow me on Twitter. You can email me. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell others about this podcast so we can continue to build up. And, and most importantly, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes because that's the best way it will show up in search results much more likely it, the more rating good ratings and reviews it has on iTunes so please do that well thank you again for listening to swimming upstream until next time keep swimming against the stream